It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. Right. Good morning. Hello. Uh, howdy doody, everybody. And the sun is shining. It ain't it ain't warm, but the sun is shining. Um, and it's and, not snowing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Wait a second. Yeah, because Peggy uh, Peggy sent me uh, a photo yesterday. She she, uh, she chats with me yesterday, and she says, "So, uh, did you get snow?" I said, "What? Uh, nothing here. I mean, we fi- finally." Late in the day yesterday, I want to say around 8 p.m. when it was dark out, uh, I mm-hmm. looked out and I could see some flakes coming down, but nothing stuck. It wasn't anything interesting. Peggy sends me this photo from her neck of the woods, and uh, this was yesterday morning, right? Um, Yeah, but kind of all day. Was it like that all day? We didn't get it here, not in the city. Um, I still have snow. I almost brought a snowball in for the show. You should have. You, you you should have brought that in. I I was surprised. I was stunned because uh, hence it was raining here most of the day, but uh, mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't have that craziness. So um, and if and I assume no. it's all gone, right? I, oh no, it's all out there still. Oh really? So I said I almost wow. brought a snowball in for the show. Well, I heard that um, Rockford got about three inches of snow. So yikes. Uh, Not that much. I mean, it's a dusting, and today when it gets in the forties, it'll be gone. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we've got uh, a lot of our viewers are talking about their snow right now. So. <laughs> okay, folks. Yeah. Okay. Tell your snow stories there. And we've got oh, <laughs> Zan has like a paragraph there about snow. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, and I'm hoping we get uh, more responses here. We 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 change the settings on restream. So that, uh, and you guys don't even know, you you folks watching, you're watching on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever, and you're mm-hmm. typing your comments in there. It comes through this aggregator that we see on this end. It's called Restream. Forgive us <laughs> if you make a comment and we don't respond because we can't afford to, we don't have the time to look at all the different places we're streaming this. Um, we just look at the aggregator on, rest, on mm-hmm. Restream. Uh, and, and I've got the main Facebook window open. And so if it doesn't grab your particular comment, um, and we don't see it. And last week there were a bunch of them we didn't see till after the show. And Peggy says they didn't even show up on 
face on Facebook until after. So I don't know what's going on. I, I have no clue. I'm just here piloting the spaceship and uh, and just hoping that uh, a bunch of people are watching. And we've got a great show today because uh, we got a couple of guys uh, who are going to teach you about native plants. And um, and it's not just that they're going to teach you about native plants. These are a couple of guys who um, who've been around the block a couple of times, maybe a few times. Uh, they know a few things, and they're not afraid to, to say a few things about uh, the work they do. Uh, and um, I think folks are looking forward to this because I saw a pretty good uh, response during the week on social media uh, in advance of this show. So folks know who uh, Kelsey, Kelsey Shaw and Tristan Shaw are from Possibility Place Nursery in Moni, Illinois. Um, and uh, they are with us this morning uh, for the first hour and get your questions in um, there. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things. As a matter of fact, I got a, a little bit of a, a list that uh, I put together during the week when we, we were planning this. Um, and it has, um, it, you know, it's, it's like a, a 60, we should start a 60 second clock. And then talk native ours, uh, the idea of owning plant seed, um, uh, copyrights. 60 seconds? What? 60 Trademark. seconds? Yeah, 60 a seconds. 60 second clock? Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure. Maybe, maybe a two-minute <laughs> clock. Annabelle hydrangeas, uh, the big switch from uh, traditional yard to, uh, to natives. Uh, looking for Vanessa, we'll have to explain what that is. Plastic pots, trees are a renewable resource is a lie. Uh, rescuing butterflies from the greenhouse, uh, invasive species, Norway maples exploding, um, and and literally, oh. literally exploding. This is a cool story. And, of course, oak myths. And speaking of oaks, uh, before we get to our guests, uh, I want to let you know that next week we've got Doug mm. Callamy back. So um, it's going to – this is very – all right, there's the NBC. And um, um, Doug Tallamy will return to the show next Sunday to talk about natives also, but also the bigger picture of, um, of, <laughs> of, of, of protecting species worldwide, mm-hmm. certainly Living in our country. Wild yeah. Homegrown National Park, um, all mm-hmm. that stuff. And uh, he, uh, we had such a great response when he was here with us, uh, I think at the end of January, um, I just said, Hey, will you do it again? And he said, okay. Um, I just love the way he, you know, as long as he, yeah, he's like, sure. as long he has to check with his wife to find out where he's speaking because he does like, uh, uh 72 talks a week. And, uh, if he's got an hour free, uh, he can join us. And apparently he was free next week at 9am central. So, uh, Doug Tallamy will be with us on today's show. As I said, uh, Kelsey and Tristan Shaw from possibility place nursery, uh, Peggy and I will be doing the green. What did we, what are we calling it this week? The green dispatch, dispatch. the green dispatch. Um, and then of course, the green dispatch. Yes. Uh, right. The The green, green I like that. The green dispatch. Let's, (laughs) you know, isn't isn't that we need where, tomato season for that? that, that you know that's a that you just said something political. So, uh, uh, but I won't I won't go into it. Um, no, I meant from from the soup from tomatoes from garden. I know, yeah, but uh, it's never mind. I, I it would take too long to explain. 
Um, uh, but uh, and then meteorologist Rick DeMaio will be here um, with a forecast that uh, is not thrilling, but it's not horrible. So uh, it's uh, we're 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 kind of stuck. Great if you like March, if we're you like stuck. March, it's great. Yeah. So <laughs> there you, there you have it. That's all today. And and uh, I will say. If you like your your Rick DeMaio, um, get it while it's hot because uh, there's he's he's going to be taking a few weeks off uh, over the course of the next few weeks and months. We'll be taking Easter off too, but that's in a couple. Yeah, weeks. we're taking Easter off. I'm, yeah, I'm going to hunt for eggs and and do something like that. So let's let's just get to uh, our guests uh, there. Uh, lower left, Kelsey Shaw. Laura Wright, Tristan Shaw, I uh, I referred to them as the ZZ Top Boys the other day, and uh, I don't know if anybody got that joke, but uh, I yeah there, there they are. Uh, hey guys, good morning. Thank you. It is such a pleasure to have you guys on the show. Uh, Kelsey was with us back in 2019, um, and it's been a while, yeah, uh, yeah. It, mm-hmm. it it was BP before yeah, pandemic. Please. What you said at the time has resonated with me ever since. Uh, you said that tidy thoughts are for losers. <laughs> and uh, that has to do with gardens, not so much uh, living rooms, what I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. if you're going to apply it to other things, I cannot help where your mind's going to go with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it is good. It's it's my but it was in terms of, of your gardening and, and what people do and – one of the things we talked about that day was the neatness brigade out there, the folks who've got to clean up. One of the things we're going to talk about in, in uh, during the Green Dispatch at uh, 10 a.m. is an article that, uh, that came out uh, by Illinois Extension uh, uh, at the end of February. Uh, Ryan Pankow um, uh, wrote a thing about uh, spring garden cleanup. And his advice is leave it alone. Um, uh, you know, people get I nuts. We're seeing that someplace. Yeah, people get nuts about <laughs> cleaning stuff up. And what's happening happening is, until the temperatures get uh, over fifty overnight, um, the insects are still um, hanging out. They're hibernating and they're just waking up. And that was his advice: is if you got stalks in there in your garden, uh, leave them leave them alone. Um, and, 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 and nip and tuck around the edges. He says, if you want to clean your borders next to the sidewalk or something, yeah, 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 you can clean that up. But the middle of the bed, you might just want to just leave it alone until the insects have uh, a chance to wake up. Yeah. It even said, it was talking about if you're piling it in piles, don't scrunch it together. So it overheats. Yeah. And especially right now with all the rain that we have, uh, it's a good idea to stay out of your yard just for compaction uh, issues. Um, you know, some people want to move mulch around or something like that. And, uh, and just let it dry out a little bit too. Yeah. Well, and we didn't yeah. have this issue. As soon as the good weather shows up. Yeah. As soon as the good weather shows up, people are like, well, I got to get out there because you never know what next weekend is going to be. And I don't want to have to spend time later on this. And really it's <clears> spend time outside for yourself now when you can, and then clean it up later. Well, but yeah. the point being, I think, is that uh, folks, rightly so, I guess, uh, in their gardens are thinking of themselves and, and, and what they want it to look like. And mm-hmm. the point that is being made by Ryan 
is that there are critters out there that have have gotten through the winter. They've gotten this far, and you can mess that up by getting in there too soon. Um, you know, and 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 I think of um, some of the critters you guys deal with. You see, and we're going to talk a little bit about that that you see at Possibility Place Nursery. Um, so the idea is um, uh, take it easy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's not all about you. There's, there's other creatures, um, oh. involved in this. Don't get out there with the leaf blower and. Oh, good God. Yeah. Right <laughs> good God. Yeah. With the leaf blower, you know, I got your leaf blower right here, pal. All right. I'll, I'll tell you what to do with that thing. Um, so. Come on, this is a family show. <laughs> not when you start talking leaf blowers. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so let's, 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 I'm sorry. I have, I have no use for leaf blowers at all ever. Um, but, uh, and I'm sure there are some people who are going to say, well, you know, we can't do our jobs without leaf blowers. I, I, you know, a good old fashioned rake works pretty well. Um, so let's, let's, let's start at the top here. Um, and I don't know who wants to take this, but you guys should describe, um, possibility place nursery in Moni, um, um, it's, you're you're going to celebrate your 40th anniversary next year, if, if I'm if I get the is numbers it, right, I think so. It's pretty close to 19, it. Seven, uh, 1978 wow. is when we. Oh, oh, 78. Oh, 70. I thought it was uh, 78. 83. Okay. Yeah. All right. A, no, it'll be uh, it'll be 45. It was a long time ago. Officially, it was a long time ago. But like unofficially, it was. I think we started planting. Or Connor started planting behind uh one of our greenhouses in 1970 i think it was in 78 and okay. uh we officially opened for sale father. a couple of years later yeah Connor's our father, yeah yeah who the, the, uh, the he retired the, two years ago now yeah but and he, um you know he's still kicking around out here i can tell you yeah <laughs> i got i'm Peggy and I w- went out there um, uh, several years ago, and he was riding her around. Well, riding both of us around in the the uh, ATM or ATV. The Kubota. The, Kubota. the Kubota. <laughs> If he was riding around an ATM, then he. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, you know. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice. I I I tell you, I'm I, I'm. <laughs> yeah, if you make it. Are you making your own yeah. cash? If you're making your own cash out there. <laughs> We have the, we literally have the money tree. Uh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah the nursery, uh, my dad, uh, he started as a traditional nursery though. So we were a traditional ball and burlap nursery. Yeah. Uh, he wanted to be uh, different. Uh, and so he wanted to grow uh, oak trees was, was his main, uh, one of his main focuses. And uh, sooner, uh, he, he soon realized that uh, growing oak trees in uh, traditional fashion is uh, difficult to impossible to be a functioning, profitable uh, nursery. So through that, um, you know, he kind of saw what the industry was doing and said, I, I have to do something different to, uh, to compete and I want to offer different plant material and, uh, you know, uh, native plants, uh, even, you know, back then and even today, they're starting to get a little more uh, traction, but uh, we're not popular. Uh, so through uh, just trial and error kind of got us to where we are today and uh, eventually um, switched totally over to natives I think about 20 years ago uh, mm-hmm. somewhere yeah. in there so I think it was it, it was 02 when I when I 
came back from working up on the west side uh, of Chicago. Uh, when I came back to the company, one of the things that we agreed, um, you know, between the three of us was that we would drop um, non-native species. And we still had some in the field, so we just phased them out. And we went all native uh, to the United States, but specifically to the upper Midwest. That's where we wanted to spend our focus on. And we wanted to uh, kind of like pull in as local a genotype uh, as we could possibly do with as broad a gene base as possible. So what, we'll do, what we do is we, when we travel to collect their seeds, especially for the woody plants, we travel uh, 50 to 100 miles in any given direction. It kind of looks like a football. And we run down I-80 um, out past Ottawa and then over towards South Bend, up towards Milwaukee and not quite as far south as Champaign, but that's kind of where we like to focus a majority of our seed collection. And we do have some outliers. There's some magnolia species and stuff like that that we got through uh, second generation wild collection from friends that we trust. Um, things like our big leaf magnolia and others, we'll call them unique plants. Um, and we really, you know, try and um, not so much limit their production because some of them are popular but uh we try and make sure people are aware that hey look this is native but not as you would use it for particular native species uh or as you would use it for as particular well, well, wait, wait, explain, explain that for careful. a second how would you call it it's native to what north america is what you're saying it's native native to North yeah. America. We have a we, for example, we have an extirpated species, uh, uh, Franklinia altamata, um, a, a, which no longer exists in the wild, and I believe was first collected by the Bartrams, uh, way way back. And the plants that were collected in the wild went overseas and then came back to the United States. And uh, I had a professor in college who had a small grove of them, and we have been planting his strain from seed ever since. And so our plants mm -hmm. are from seed, they're genetically viable, but they are not truly native plants, especially not to Illinois, and, but they are actually no longer native to the United States in a way that is, um, we'll call it um, in nature or significant where you're going to find a population just lying around along some creek or, you know, on the side of a mountain or anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have species that we do bring in from other areas but we we have found that they tend to be benign they don't cause harm so we are still inclined to offer some of them anything that we find that is too aggressive or problematic to unleash on our local environments we do not offer you know even if it's native to the united states sometimes they're just they're just mm -hmm. they can be angry angry plants <laughs> and um you know you got to be careful on which ones you kind of let go into it without really testing it for for real well uh, yeah. give me a couple of examples of that a couple oh, of uh, like, oh. Oak leaf hydrangea or you mean aggressive plants yeah aggressive yeah. plants oh. aggressive natives good cool great well, like, uh, <laughs> uh, sorry <laughs> well that's all the time we <laughs> have folks <laughs> you keep things out of your garden yeah. great uh, gray dogwood is an aggressive plant. Gray dogwood, yeah. Uh, well, actually, rough leaf dogwood is far more aggressive than gray dogwood. And, mm -hmm. and that one, if you burn it, you've really uh, made it more aggressive. You, 
you, you make it angry and it just comes up everywhere. And, uh, you know, so it's like the less impact that you have on it, like uh, Grey Dogwood is a good example. Like uh, prairie people are going to lose their nut over uh, over Grey Dogwood. They see it in a, in a prairie and they're like, you must kill it. And it's terrible. Uh, it's a fantastic, it's a, it's a building block for a lot of native bird and butterfly species. It's, it's a critically important plant to have around and they would justify as like, oh, well, it's fine to get rid of it because it exists somewhere else. But uh, a lot of people that I've, uh, that I've found is like it, 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 trying to tell them is like, if you don't touch it, I mean, the farmers didn't used to touch it. It used to grow on the edge of their farm fields. That thing sat there for decades didn't move beyond its little colony, didn't do anything. But as soon as they started mowing it or burning it or spraying it, all of a sudden it's coming up in the farm fields. It's coming up in broader areas in the ditch because it responds to what's like browse pressure. So an animal that would come in and traditionally eat it back when we had animals, um, you know, it, it would then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I've been eaten. What do I do? Well, I've got roots underground and up they come. And then they, you know, they have a secondary where they rely on birds because uh, of the style of fruit that they've got. They get it in the gullet, they, the bird flies away and uh, deposits it uh, further down the system. And then you, Re so it has a, it. a twofold attack. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, well, you know, that, that would be an aggressive plant that people, you know, you got to kind of watch out for. But, here's, here's two but more. There's two more coming in from our friend Christine Nye, who was uh, at the uh, the Shed Aquarium for many years. She says poison ivy and poke, pokeweed. Um, oh, two yeah, beautiful yeah. plants. Yeah, well, 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 poison ivy, poison ivy is beautiful. a critical. Well, it's not just beautiful. I mean, it's it's a pain in the it's a pain in the goodies, but it's also a critical <laughs> food stuff for for migrating birds. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, a lot of, especially um, the ones that, in my experience, like the thrushes will come through and they'll pick, they'll pick poison ivy clean. Uh -huh. And then, you know, again, deposit it somewhere else. So, I mean, it, it, it's, and if you uh, are, we'll call it bereft of choice on a migration that used to be a smorgasbord and could cover me, now you're, you're more limited and you're going with the species that are, uh, more aggressive because they're harder for us to get rid of and they're still around for them to feed on. Well, and, and, and as she mentions, pokeweed is another one that uh, I, I learned my lesson about very recently in the last couple of years that it's also an important food source uh, for birds. And, um, and it's edible too. If, if you prepare it correctly, if you don't, you might die. <laughs> if you don't, it can make, yeah, it can make you pretty sick. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Plus, it stains your hands as god awful purple. Um, and and it used to be that uh, you know the the only advice for pokeweed was uh, get it out of there, get it out of there. And now you might want to consider, depending on the kind of property you have. Obviously, if it comes up in your front lawn, well, what are you doing having a lawn in the first place? But um, if it if it comes up there, you're you're probably going to chop it down. Um, but it but it just shows that uh, uh, you know the the idea that. Uh, all natives are good in all circumstances. It's just not true. Well, um, it, it, to, to a degree, to a degree, uh, there, it, you know, it, it really is a matter of tolerance on our part, frankly, mm -hmm. uh, of the species that belong under, uh, under certain conditions, um, you know, and, and being able to, um, 
understand their place and you know if they belong you know great I, it, do i want them in my yard with my two-year-old child running around you know who doesn't like to wear pants no i'm not going to want poison ivy out there for that but you know it, it's it's something that we need to be aware of that you know in nature you know poison ivy it's a thing and if you have a more balanced environment poison ivy is going to take up residence where it belongs and should be outcompeted by or at least kept in check by other species that also inhabit that same space and so the more balanced your local environment is the the better chance you have of actually combating uh, you know, some of these more aggressive tendencies and some of our native species that people have kind of like frowned upon for so many years. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got a lot of uh, information to cover here. I went through my, my 60 second list there, which is really hey, like an Mike? Yeah. Your, your mic is doing something weird. It's like got a little buzz to it. Maybe it's got a buzz to it. Uh, you got me. Um, I, I don't hear anything here because I don't hear my mic uh, on this end. So let's, um, like, how, how, I mean, how, how prevalent yeah, is it? Try it now. Um, no, it's good. Okay. Oh, yeah, now you it's it just yet. something, it was something that Kelsey and Tristan didn't have, but you did. So okay. that's better. All righty. Uh, let's. Let's let's start let's start with the oaks and your your dad uh, the idea that he was uh, uh, trying to grow oaks which was an odd thing it seems to me at the time uh, in the seventies what gave him that idea that uh, he wanted to to raise oaks uh, now we look at oaks and you know thanks to people like Doug Tallamy who's going to be here next week and and other folks we realize how important they are they're a keystone species um, did your dad well, frankly nobody else was selling it. Nobody it, else was yeah. offering them. Well, that part- was it. And he found out that if he collected acorns that when he, you know, effectively, it, it wasn't really by chance, but he figured out that if I collect acorns and we used to do this as children with him, we used to go to patios yeah. and sweep them up, all kinds of stuff. But he found out that if he planted the acorns, they would all be the same so that he could select out the ones that were just the same. And since it was a hole in the market, he was able to offer oaks to uh, you know to people that were looking for them but could find them nowhere other than say pen oak or you know uh possibly red oak and, you know some red, grew a few whites maybe, but no, maybe some, but nobody yeah, was some offering some white. Oak. yeah you know nobody Burr, was offering chinkapin. Oak. nobody was offering chinkapin it was too hard to grow because they put down that yeah. tap root and it's just they became big and it was problematic because then it was hard to harvest because of the branching structure and and all the things that made an oak and oak. So then what, what did you change about that? If, if it's that hard to, to grow? Nothing? Well, I mean, no, we did. We changed the growing method. method. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we changed the yeah. growing method. So, so when my dad started, they're really, I mean, and this is really before, I mean, plastics were just kind of coming into the market when he started plastic pots, which is a whole other issue. Uh, but uh, he, we grew our first uh, plants in uh, milk cartons. So he would get uh, milk cartons, um, you know, like, you know, a little, little uh, cardboard container. And then uh, we would just set them up in a, uh, uh, you know, a wood tray. And then what would happen is uh, the, the, it would be a, uh, the wood tray would have a hardware mesh bottom. So um, the soilless mix, put the plant in, the root would grow down to the hardware mesh and then get air prone and then have a, uh, develop a fibrous root system. 
And so then he would go take those and plant them out in the field and then realize very shortly doing ball and burlap, like my brother was just indicating, you, you can't really harvest an oak tree very easily because of its um, fiber, its, its uh, aggressive uh, root system, taproot, to get it up out of the ground. A lot of times you go to pull the tree out of the ground and the root system would have a, a, a root still kind of um, attached to the ground and, and uh, you would you know ruin the tree because the ball would literally go, the soil would go up the trunk and the tree would stay where it was and, and then effectively you can't sell that tree. And that's a big reason why the industry um, uh, didn't sell oaks. And then the other reason they didn't sell oak trees is because nobody uh, tr can trade, they have a very difficult time grafting oaks or trademarking it so that they could say it is, you know, uh, their oak tree. So um, that really drove the industry away from oak trees and they started making up, uh, you know, outlandishly, uh, you know, falsehoods. Um, grows slow, um, you know, kills babies, those types of things. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that as you were, as you were saying, it's like now we, it's not, it's not bad enough that you just won't grow the trees. Now you have to actively work against them somehow because, uh, and, and, and well, cre create fake news yeah. about, about oak trees. Well, it's, what's, what's weird about that too, though, is, is that you, you see the industry, they are coming around by and large. There are more varieties on offer a traditional, um, uh, traditional growers than ever before, but you know, like we were saying, it's like a lot more straight species material because there's not so many named varieties of oak that are truly unique. You know, mm -hmm. uh, there's a couple of columnar ones here and there that you mm -hmm. would be like, oh, that's that's upright. But the life expectancy of a lot of them, especially the ones that are crossed with Corcus rovar or English oak, uh, it, you know. It, they're not as long lived as our native ones. The ones that are actually going to be doing a lot of the lifting in our local environments, especially urbanly. So you're moving into the you know uh, sort of suburbs and downtown Chicago, where oak canopy is diminishing at a we'll call it a, as shocking a rate as anything that I've seen you know recently, because a lot of the old trees are starting to time out. We're having drought events that are knocking these trees down, and as soon as they're knocked down the pests because winter isn't as hard as it might ought to be uh, is not killing off some of the pests and keeping them in check. And it's weakening these trees to the point where they're no longer able to maintain those monstrous crowns and that beautiful canopy that so many people, you know, desire about them. And then when they die, they go, well, since I'm never going to see it in my lifetime, I might as well plant something that's fast growing. And that what's, you know, people think that, well, maple trees are fast growing or, you know, uh, uh, or some other exotic species like Bradford pear. Oh, they're so pretty. But an oak tree will put on in our nursery. Oh, yeah. yeah Bradford <laughs> pear. This is, this nursery, is, well, it's know, also, it also a sign that we need to take a break here, but um, that, that oh, would, yeah, that sorry. would be this. Okay. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, well yeah, so, I, 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 I understand that. I want to get into all of this. All, the, I, I want, we're going to show you some okay. uh, some photos of oak roots here. Uh, I do want to talk about the idea of uh, that you just alluded to, which is something called nativars, uh, which is a cultivar of a native plant, and whether that is uh, uh, sustainable. It's just a cultivar. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, 
we, we got into plastic. plastic. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to have to just turn you guys loose. Let's take a break. Yeah, and, we're going to go get coffee. You guys can talk. That's right. We, when we come yeah. back, uh, Kelsey Shaw and uh, Tristan Shaw from Possibility Place Nursery are, are going to cut loose. So you're going to enjoy it. Stick around. We'll be right back. From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from tiny biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks at blazing-star.com. Gonna do it, gonna do it right. Reduce the waste in your personal space. Take pride in your personal place. Keep it clean like your room, believe me. If you do, you'll see your city. When the blue skies come, yes, the will. And the sun will shine, yes, the will. We're gonna have a good Okay, I was watching. Yep, yeah, Peggy was raising yeah, the roof back out there. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. It's a it's a thing for kids. Is that like a cool cool grasshopper. Kids, or? it's for me. <laughs> uh, and I got this thing. Uh, somebody pitched me recently, and they sent said you got to check this out. And so I found the video, and I said, okay, I'll I'll play that on the show. And now I can't find the email it came from, so I I have no idea. That it's some artist who put this together and the only thing i will say though you know aside from insects and arachnids that who can recycle better than human beings um is they got one thing wrong they said paper towels in there Uh i heard that yeah Yeah. i went and i went oh come on man you guys got that wrong you can't recycle paper towels you can compost them you can absolutely well kind of you can kind of compost takes a while on some of them yeah depends on the brand i've found so well, uh, yeah, probably depends on how many layers of quick picker up or thickness they have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta watch out for that brawny guy. Yeah, all yeah. of them. <laughs> no, it's and it's tough because you can't recycle uh, uh, facial tissue. You can't recycle, um, uh, as we said, paper towels. Those kinds of things um, are are very very difficult. So um, I, they need to fix that part of it. Other than that, it's kind of cool. So uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking to Tristan Shaw and Kelsey Shaw from Possibility Place Nursery in Moni. Let's, uh, let's just uh, cut to the chase here. I want to show an example. We were talking oaks, 
and explain to us, guys, what we're looking at here. I guess, uh, Tristan, this is you. Yeah, um, I, I wasn't fully prepared for this picture. My brother, brother sent it to you, but, but not me. But um, this does bring back does bring back memories. Um, basically, this was a, 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 the tree on the left. Uh, the sickly looking tree was a was a free giveaway tree. Um, that uh, when I, I'm a sucker for uh, cheap is good and free is better. Um, but uh, this free tree uh, is definitely not better. Um, it, it's, uh, I got 12 of them and, uh, they were in really bad shape and I, I brought them to the farm and I, um, they were grown in a terrible, uh, biosolids, uh, soilless mix, um, that was, uh, killing them. So I took them out of that and I put them in one of our uh, root maker, uh, containers and grew them. I thought it was a, uh, I thought they were the same tree. I, I wasn't sure what it was exactly because it was, it looked so poor. I couldn't really identify what it was. And I, I put them in the same soilless mix, and they, uh, the one, our tree is from seed. Uh, it's um, probably July, um, and, and this is kind of the result. So, um, you know, the, the, the reality is the industry, when you, you know, is, is producing a, a poor root system, which uh, end result is a uh, customer is going to have limited success, uh, if any. And so what we find is when a homeowner plants a tree, they, they'll probably replace it once. Uh, and then if it dies again, they, they will not uh, try it again because it is uh, obviously uh, costly and um, uh, it takes a good bit of energy to do so. Um, so kind of the point here is um, you really need to, to buy from a, uh, you know, I'm not going to say buy, you have to find a, uh, a, a quality plant if you're going to have uh, success. Yeah. Well, yeah, so all right. Tristan, Go ahead, Peggy. Sorry. I was going to say, what is a root maker container? You mentioned that. Uh, root maker container is a trademark a container that we use here at the farm. It's a specific, uh, it's a company that makes uh, um, uh, containers that promotes root growth. Um, and so basically, um, it, it, uh, does it through either air pruning or a fabric, um, or a diameter hole size on a bag that causes a root system to, uh, regenerate. So there, there's a, I don't want to get boring too much here, but the reality is, um, trees, tree roots are, uh, and soil, uh, is very, uh, interesting to me. And I would say that the main takeaway maybe should be is, um, Roots kind of, they have a four inch rule, a four to six inch rule, really. So from the root tip, so where the root is growing at the tip, if it gets air pruned or pruned, it has the ability to, and when I say air pruned, basically it grows out into air because it's in a pot above ground. It gets, grows to the side of the container. There's a hole in the container. It grows into that hole, gets air pruned, and then four to six inches back from where it gets pruned, it will regenerate roots. Okay, so... Then what happens again is those new developed roots, and those are small fibrous root system. Those are feeding roots. Those are sometimes they'll turn into structural roots, but those are feeder roots. And what that gives the plant the ability to do is harvest more nutrients for growth. And you do it again and again, and we do it thousands, and thousands of times, and pretty soon you have a very nice fibrous root system. And so a root pruning container will do that. And if you get a straight-sided pot. 
um, which just holes at the bottom, it doesn't happen as much, or it is even less valuable because it takes the roots and turns them into a circular pattern of growth. And so when you get yeah, that as a, in customer, yeah, as an in customer, you're going to have a bunch of roots on the side of the pot and they're going to be growing in a circle. So it's not the, the it's the same root that is not, it's not uh, regenerating new roots. It's just growing in a circle continuously. And then what's going to happen is you need to, yeah, you need to stop that. So if you're buying a tree or any plant in a non root pruning container, you're going to want to take that plant out and cut the roots on the sides um, because you want to eliminate that, um, those circling roots. Um, so, uh, which does, it, it definitely hurts the plant. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. do. Yeah. No, it's tricky for sure. You have to be yeah, careful. You can kill your plant. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, yeah, uh, but with that concentration of roots, you know, you'll get this band, especially across the base and you'll get heavier roots because it, the plant wants to get that structural system out as much as possible. And if it finds that it's contained on the sides, then the structural roots will try and find that out and they'll just keep on going down. And once it gets to the bottom, there's nowhere else for it to try and find a way out. Well, and, and are we talking, we're not just talking oaks here, are we? Uh, or all plants. All, this all, is all, yeah. All yeah. And once it's this is a plant they, rule. So they have a shelf life. Across most plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, right. let's, let's quickly, let's qu- and, quickly and, look at this yeah. series of. Uh, and real quick, we've got Michael asking, do felt bags air prune roots? They can, yeah, nice, nice, yeah, they can, but they're like nice for the eighties. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's old technology. The, the whole, it's older technology, and, and um, you know, uh, some of the some of the way to catch up to it. Uh, th- there's a lot of nylon running around in the way that that we've done it, and and, and it's not great. Uh, but Tristan, uh, you know, you can see the green pot that Tristan's left in this picture, and I've got one here. We're actually looking into, uh, you know, biodegradable pots to replace our plastic ones. And, you know, we're trying to phase these things out. And we're right now we're trying to find, you know, if if there is a way that we can use these types of products rather than things like felt and nylon and some of the other, uh, you know, fabrics that go into these things um, to a lesser degree so that we can start minimizing our long term impact even on our own site. Because there's, bags and things like that that are left over in our fields periodically and you know it, it and it is a form of pollution that we're trying to get away from but we still want to maintain a healthy root structure that is producing a plant that is healthy for our customers something that's going to actively want to grow for you rather than hold on i need my cup of coffee three years from now i'll be ready to grow <laughs> for you rather than you know we want it to happen right now all right. Well, and, let's, that, uh, that that takes us to these photographs oh, here. Uh, that you this is from a gallon uh, container, correct? Right. Uh, yeah. So that our, right now, pot. Yeah. Yeah. So our our greenhouses are on right now. We uh, start all our uh, plants in greenhouses, uh, especially on the woodies. We collect uh, almost all the seed, and uh, so this would be grown uh, starting now. Um, and then uh, when this picture was taken. Um, it's was August 1st. This one was August 1st. August 1st. Yeah. August so 1st. That's, was the picture, that's, how, yeah. 
that will give you an idea of a, a true seedling uh, from, you know, from, you know, a few months, you know. Uh, All right. Growth. Let's let's uh, be clear. Yeah. You started the seed in the spring. This is in August. And this is that's a pretty healthy plant there. Yeah. 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 That's, yes. that's about a half inch. Calorie, less than about six a, months old. Normally. Yeah. So in our oaks. Um, you know, the, the oaks start germinating, I don't know, uh, the, I think it was last week in the, in the, in the greenhouses and this plant clearly August 1st, but we're getting on species like, I believe this one's swamp white oak, uh, or a corcus bicolor. Uh, it, we're getting that kind of growth in, in, in the burr, the chinkapin, we're getting about a half inch, uh, we'll call it almost half inch caliper, not quite. Um, and I would say that that plant fully washed is going to be, uh, in upwards of two pounds. So there's a lot of biomass actually in that plant, um, rather than like the one that we, you saw earlier from the giveaway, where if I completely washed that and weighed it, it'd probably be under a pound. Well, let me, so let, let's, you know, let's show another about. one. Let's show another one here. This is another one that, uh, you guys brought in. Um, Tristan, and it, there's those a, are your lovely hands. Um, and, and this is a, a, a root ball that you brought in. And then when you washed it away, this is how much root mass you got out of it. Um, right. And, and so this kind of goes back to the idea of, um, when you start your, you know, you, you need to, um, when you start your plants from seed and you have every step of the way, you're producing a fibrous root system or the best root system you possibly can. Uh, and selecting out the best plants, uh, you hopefully will, I mean, and, and again, this root system, it's not terrible. <laughs> it's not good. It's not. Uh, it probably, it probably will live. Um, but if you have, uh, if you grow your plants from seed and you can select the best plants out, you, and, and you know, you'll select the best root system. Um, so hopefully the end customer will have a, uh, you know, a thriving plant. Um, and, and can I bring something to, all right, go ahead, Kelsey. And then I got a question. No, no, it's just a, just a real quick point. This plant was produced in one of those, uh, old school felt bags, just FYI for somebody that asked earlier. Okay. So that's that felt, that's what that felt, the sides of the felt bag look like. See how there's no root protrusion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and the question, another uh, and question I have, bags, there's root protrusion. Another question I have Sorry. is look right above the, the soil line on that root ball. For those of you, uh, I apologize to those of you listening on the, uh, the podcast, but um, the dark area of the, the soil goes up the trunk of the tree. I have seen this mm -hmm. before where you'll buy a, a, a bald and burlapped plant and you bring it home and the flare of the root is actually half a foot below the soil line how does that happen and 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 how do you protect people from i mean because if you plant that at grade there you're planting a tree six inches deeper than you should be planting it and that's going to cause problems yeah. won't it uh, yeah massive problem oh yeah absolutely and the answer the short answer to that question is unscrupulous growers Really? Well, well, if they, and yeah. they, well, it's it's an old school practice. What they'll do is they'll they'll yeah, dig their holes, and then they backfill, I mean, you know, loose soil on top of a root system. And since the root system is not it's not stable in that hole, they have to plant it deeper than they would like to. And then their you know then your root the root crown or root flare is going to be buried somewhere between. I mean, we've seen them buried up to a foot into the ball. 
Uh, yeah. and, and the main reason they bury it is because just, they don't want to stake the tree. And it doesn't, that, that way it doesn't tip over in the field before they dig it. Right. Wow. Because, uh, because I've seen this and I, I've, I've planted trees for people uh, where I've had to, to dig away the soil uh, along the trunk until I found the root flare and then use that as the new grade. And if people are not aware of that, they're going to kill their tree just by putting it in the ground. Well, not, it depends on the species. It, it, okay. you know, I, would I mean, say that that's, no, it's mostly true. That is a mostly true statement, but it depends on the species. Species like swamp white oak will actually move their root flare. They can actually sprout roots from, you know, higher up. A uh, silver maple yeah. can do wow. But it's and again, not that, good and again, for the tree. That's, it's not good for No, them. it's not overly desirable because uh, the roots and uh, tr the, the cellular development of roots is different from the trunk. And so if a root goes around the trunk, like Kelsey's saying, some species definitely have the ability to move their root system because they're floodplain trees and they're used to, you know, um, the soil coming in from floods and moving soil up the trunk and they will grow new roots out the, out the trunk but those cells are different and what can happen is and you see it all the time is that root will turn a, uh, a left or a right hand and grow around the trunk and then it will girdle it and kill it because those cells cannot graft to each other only the top of the tree can graft to like branches can graft to branches and roots can graft to roots and it's you know and not just you know themselves baroque can graft to other baroque trees, you know, they can grow into each other, yeah. and I've, the same I've, thing I've, is happening. In, the same thing is happening in the ground. So, um, but you know, at that interface where the, the root flare is, um, it's a it's a dangerous thing to mess with. All right, and uh, we're getting a number of questions that I want to get to. I'm a, I'm going to call an audible here. Um, and see if you guys can't stick with us after our 10 o'clock break, because we're not going to get through everything I wanted to get through. Can you guys, I know you've got work to do, um, but it's cold out there. You don't want to go out, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a sunny day. A sunny day. In the greenhouse. In our greenhouses. So, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty lovely. Yeah, it is. It's it's a you know compared to what we've had, this is a great day to get out. Can I can I have you hang on for a few more minutes uh, after after the break? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I can All definitely. Right. That'd be All fine. Right. All right. Uh, now let's go to again, and then we'll get to some of those questions that are are coming in. They're very very interesting. Uh, this is uh, what a f from a five gallon container. That's from a five gallon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this is again one and of your was, your root systems, and and you've cleaned it. The other thing yeah. we need to know is that you didn't just pull it out of the pot. You you no you, no. We wash them so you can see the roots. Yeah, and, and this and plant a lot, was a lot. seed. This well, this plant was grown from seed. This I believe this is a bur. This might be a baroque. Uh, my brain is right. Um, this was from seed. Uh, fourteen months later, fourteen to sixteen months. So, so in uh, from February to February, so this is midsummer of its second or third year, or no, okay. at the end of its second year. There we go. But uh, if you plant that, you're likely to have great success. Uh, here's, uh, I, I think this is uh, just a wider shot. Is that of the same plant yeah. or a similar plant? I don't. Not know. of the same plant. A similar okay. plant. Yeah. Similar plant. Um, so that that's what you're dealing with here. It's it, it, you know you're trying to get um, a good solid root system so uh to get your plants going 
Um, well, the, the other the other thing about that though is the proportionality of roots uh, is, is incredibly important to the crown of the plant. If you do not have a proportional amount of roots underground, it will not support the crown to its fullest extent and and, and let it actively grow, you know, after transplanting. So, uh, Tristan, what's what's the what's the percentage again? Do you remember? There's a percentage of roots that you need to have versus the crown. There is a there is a percentage, and I'm sorry it fails me at the moment. But the higher the percentage of roots that you have, especially of the varied type of root system, so you'll have both structural storage and feeder roots all you know actively engaging. You're going to support a larger crown on a smaller ball as long as the proportionality of those roots is higher. So uh, if you have that broader range underground, the better the yeah. top will it, do. So if you, you it, saw that one that yeah. we cleaned, it only had the structural and maybe some, uh, we'll call it uh, maybe a couple of storage roots. There were very few feeder roots. So that plant is going to then have to replace the feeder roots before it's going to be able to actively grow above ground. And that, that diminishes its plant, uh, it diminishes its ability to actively grow in the, you know, in that first season, possibly in the second or third as well. And it also opens it up to, you know, not being able to uh, stabilize itself. I've seen a lot of plants that were older in their pot and a wind will come along six, eight, you know, 14, 16 months later and just blow it right over because it's got too big of a crown and not enough root mass underground. Which leads to uh, that makes sense. Yeah, it does, mm-hmm. uh, but it also leads yeah. to the controversy over um, pu- uh, pruning uh, new trees when you put them in the ground. There, I, I oh no, I know. I that's oh, what yeah. I'm saying. It's, <laughs> the only reason, no yeah, the only reason you're pruning trees when the only reason you're pruning trees when you're putting them in the ground is you have a damaged limb. Or you've got like a leader that has decided to grab itself yeah. and you have to get rid of yeah. you know, one of them. Plants, Otherwise, you leave because the more surface area, the better. The plant plants need leaves to produce food. You cut leaves and branches off your tree, you're eliminating the ability for that plant to produce energy. It's all about stress management. So when you're going to transplant something, uh, so you could buy it from you know a nursery, um, say it's a, a good plant, you need to... It's in severe stress. No plant wants to be to be moved. So that's the first thing you have to understand is that you have a critical patient uh, that you're taking home to be taken care of. So if it's hot out, if it's you know whatever, even you know the environment is is a big factor, obviously. Um, so you get at home, the best thing to do with that plant is put it in the ground. So um, and you know plant it at the right depth, get water on it, put uh, mulch it. Do not volcano uh, mulch it. Don't pile mulch up on the on the trunk and uh, keep grass away from it. Yeah, exactly. You see it. Um, you see it all the time, unfortunately. Still. So still. Um, but let, let's talk. I always want to mention something about um, you know how plants work, and and it's basically um, you know the, the energy of a plant. The roots get the energy last. So, um, and what you need for a newly transplanted plant is for root development. So you want to leave as many leaves on as possible to produce, um, you know, um, to produce energy for the roots. It's going to, and if it's a mature plant that's flowering, you should remove those flowers, uh, fruit, flower, uh, leaves, stems, uh, roots. That's how the energy flows through That's how the energy flows through the tree or through most plants. And, and so it's, it's very easy uh, to um, do a little test at home, and, and I used to do this. Uh, 
And just because, um, you know, we have thousands of plants, uh, I just took a hole puncher and I just started punching holes in leaves. And then I would pull the plant out of the pot and take a look at the root system. And, you know, all of a sudden you start realizing, because I have another plant right next to it, that is, I didn't punch holes in the leaves and its root system is still developing. Um, so, you know, it's, it's totally based on, um, you know, the ability for that plant to produce enough energy to finally get to the roots. You can be brought in for uh, plant abuse, you know, Tristan, for doing things. <laughs> <laughs> All in the name of science. We do All terrible science. Hey, we, yeah, we, we I look at it this way. We grow terrible plants things. and we do terrible things to plants. And, you know, we, we think we're, you know, we're doing, we do pretty well by plants, but, we have to select. I mean, we are we are for profit. We do want it. We have employees. We have to support everybody. But so I mean, the things that we have to do to plants is like, oh, this one's just not making the grade. You know, it's gone, and Yikes. that's terrible. It's a loss. Yeah. But to give you an idea on, on our oaks, I would I'd say fifty percent of our oaks are garbage. Yeah. At least. And how how that, much? Wait, whoa, whoa, stop again. What was that percentage? Fifty percent. So coming 50 out of our, of our germinated we, in the it, greenhouse. In the greenhouse, before they even get to um, in a pot, there is going to be fifty uh, percent garbage. Wow! So we have somebody the sitting there. Fifty percent of the acorns are not yeah. good. Okay. I mean, they're fine plants. They live, they but not for greenhouse. Ours. We want to make the best possible plant, and so we select the best possible plants, and then every time we transplant it, um, we, we select get rid of again. More. So we. Th- we get rid of more. So All right. we could be up to, you know, 65 or more percent that are, are, are thrown out. All right. Well, we should let people know that uh, Possibility Place uh, Nursery sells not just oaks, but there are a lot of oh, yeah. other trees, uh, shrubs, yeah. also oh, yeah. perennials. perennials. Um, and mm-hmm. and well, we, there we go. we're going to get to that uh, when, when we come back after the break. Before we go to uh, a couple of quick questions, uh, Kathleen wanted to know, if uh, it was open for retail customers, and of course, yes. Online. Online, yes. Online. Yeah. They go to possibilityplace.com, and there's an online store there for anybody who wants to shop retail, and that's mail order with the possibility of pickup, but that it has to be arranged. Right, and if you're right. watching and- us, we, we put the link out there. I don't know how many people got it, but you can just go to possibilityplace.com. A lot of our... A lot of our plants are kind of low right now just because of our we've been selling um you know already since plant february so we haven't yeah we haven't notified they, they, they go pretty quick plants. and if you want a plant definitely click that button because that tells us to grow that plant um if we don't see demand more. uh yeah. yeah, if we don't see more demand, we're not going to increase. Well, and you that, you that. also um, uh, do uh, su- supply uh, uh, plant sales with uh, with plants. Quite a it. few, yeah. 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 And yeah. the list of it is on our website as well, Lake County, DuPage County. We do a lot of work with uh, a lot of municipalities. And, yeah, and uh, we, uh, they're, these are all wonderful organizations, and their run is uh, like uh, fundraisers for them. Um, you know, and we, we love working with them. So it's kind of nice. Oh, also Moran is outreach aspect. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, and some of them have gone online only because they just don't have the staff. So, uh, they will be selling plants through us for the entire year. And, uh, that yeah, open lands, well. for instance, is a great one to support. You can yeah. go to open lands. And, yeah. That's a, that's uh, a really good one. Buy, they they do a lot of good work. 
Yeah. All right. Um, uh, Tracy writes, their plants survive every time. So you, you get a... <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, Candace wants to know, and this is the last one, and then we'll take a quick break. Uh, for Parkway success, any preference for burr versus chinkapin oak? Oh, chinkapin, uh, chinkapin or burr. If I'm going Parkway, though, uh, if it's a broad Parkway, six to twelve, uh, six to twelve feet, uh, you're going with. Or excuse me, not this, not broad. Six to twelve feet is a chinkapin because it, it can handle a more constricted root zone. Uh, if it's that eight to fourteen, that that nice, you know, more boulevardy kind of thing. The bur oak is spectacular because it, it it builds a lot of mass, and you get that nice high canopy. If you're, if you're uh, in, but if you're looking for more critters, uh, a burrs anyways, uh, oh, chinkapin right. oak definitely has uh, the tastiest. Yeah, come on, <laughs> ducks, geese, blue jays. No, you're right. I you're mean, right. Uh, you got me. You know, uh, yeah, I have a small chicken like, oak down. I planted uh, down the street from me, and I have two ducks that hang out underneath it for the acorns. Uh, they've already figured it out, yeah. and the tree's only about eight feet tall. Um, so mm-hmm. those acorns are extremely tasty. Um, in the in the burrow has um, more insects. Y- yeah, burrow definitely, definitely. I always go to burrow. Yeah, insects. For, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, wait. <laughs> so burrow has more insects. Yeah, I, there's more there's more opportunity for uh, especially locally because chinkapin locally isn't uh, it's not right. one of your you know your more mass mass uh, plants. Right. It it's specific, more site specific. Keystone and yeah. um, like the the bark, the fissures in the bark, things overwinter in the bark, and uh, yeah. there's more things that kind of live on the leaves. We see more gall activity, so you're getting you know uh, both predator and prey kind of uh, activity going on where. There's certain longhorn yeah. beetles that feed on oak galls, and bur oak is loaded in them, and you'll get these really cool-looking yeah. um, cryptic uh, beetles that kind of come in and eat the, you know, prey on some of the pests, and it's quite but amazing. The, the the reality here is we're splitting a very fine hair. They're both excellent for wildlife. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. And and frankly, it's really a choice rather than. The, the Baroque is going to be more majestic and the Chinkapin is going to have that lighter, you know, finer crown and you're, you can't lose either way. So plant both. Yeah. Like, yes. and, and we can get it oh, in spacing. Oh boy. And, and you know, we've gone yeah. in, in terms of insects uh, through, through the, uh, the decades, we've gone from the point where people used to say insects are icky uh, and then they went through a period uh, where they said insects are pretty cool, and now they're 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 at a point where they say, "I don't want to die. Please don't kill our insects. Take me instead." <laughs> All right, so well, th- tell tell some. Yeah, you're gonna have to tell more people that because there's so yeah, many. Like they've no. got fences now. The squads are out there and everything. It's just terrible. It's just yeah. Stop spraying. Yeah. You know, okay. You could get a little off in your armpits, and you're good for the day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I think we're going to the break. Yeah. I think we're going to the break. It's uh, Kelsey Shaw and Tristan Shaw from Possibility Place Nursery. Stick around; a lot more to come. Good morning, Dr. Drew. How are you doing today? 
Good morning, Victor. I'm doing well. Thanks. Right here, we have uh, a canker on the stem of this chestnut oak, and it's kind of got this dark staining around it. I just want to ask you, when we encounter an oozing canker on the trunk of a tree, what should our first step be? The first step's got to be to figure out what's causing it. It may be something relatively benign, like a bacterial infection, or it could be something more serious, like a Phytophthora disease. And you know Phytophthora can be bad because that word actually means plant destroyer in Greek. Okay, so it sounds like we would love to rule that out. So how can you tell the difference? Well, first try and find where that oozing's coming from. If it's coming from an obvious wound, a crack, a split, or a boring insect hole, then it's probably bacterial. You can also give it a bit of a sniff because the bacteria would actually be feeding and fermenting the sap in the tree. And so it's going to smell a little bit sour or alcoholic or fermented. Interesting. So what if it smells normal and I can't find a wound or a hole? At that point, it's more likely to be Phytophthora, but you're going to have to take a sample and submit it to a lab for testing because there's no way to 100% verify Phytophthora in the field. Okay, so let's say that it's confirmed Phytophthora. What do we do now? At that point, we want to combine some cultural treatments with some direct management options. There are stem and soil applied materials that we use to manage Phytophthora, and then also cultural things. Cultural things such as what? Well, Phytophthora thrives in saturated soil. So you want to look at irrigation, you want to look at improving drainage, adding organic matter, and mulching the surface. So well-drained soil? organic matter like compost and then maybe on mulch ring? Sounds perfect. But it all starts with a correct diagnosis, right? Exactly. All right, Dr. Drew, I want to thank you once again for your time. And as always, thanks for being a resource for our arbors here at Bartlett Tree Experts. Thanks, Victor. It's a pleasure. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sip-saw of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn, Give me all that I can take. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Bonus time for uh, Kelsey and Tristan Shaw. You guys, um, you're just not, you're you're just not talking fast enough. All right, we can't we can't get in all of this information, and we've got lots of still got questions. Yeah. Uh, coming We've got in. a viewer who said, off of your armpits, there's a song in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, I want to get to, since we, we, we mentioned that uh, you guys uh, also sell perennials, talking about native ours. Um, and if you go to... Uh, my <laughs> I love it when I, I get a response. Yeah. Ruining a perfectly good Sunday. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, gotta, yeah, yeah. Gotta go. Gotta go out oh, to no, the greenhouse. No, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a Sunday variety, you know, happiness or something. <laughs> well, so why yeah. are you guys so, so oh, down? There's, a, there's, yeah. there's an article uh, that I put in the blog post, and if you go uh, to MikeNovak.net, 
you will see it uh, if you scroll down um, in the bullet points. You see there, native virus versus native plants. And it's a, actually a pretty good article um, uh, by uh, a friend of mine uh, who was part of uh, Midwest Ecological Landscape Alliance, Carol Becker. And um, she sort of lays it out in a, in a very uh, cogent way. Uh, but you guys obviously uh, are, are iffy about the idea. First of all, let's explain what a native R is, because that's not a scientific term, which Carol in this article says over and over well, again. Correct. A native R is strictly a cultivar. I mean, it's no different than any cultivar out there. It's just a, a derivative uh, of, a, of a native plant, maybe possibly a local native plant. God knows where you know, the original plant came from because it was selected for a particular reason or bred for a particular reason. Um, and it's not environmentally, the impact can, you know, these are pet plants. All right. You, you want, you want a native R, keep it in a pot, put it on the patio, take it for walks. It, it's not, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's not, it's not the kind of positive impact because that you might think that you are, are, are having with a true native species. Genetic diversity is reduced. You get, uh, we'll call it off brand seedlings. So the plant will actually, Correct. you know, uh, when it seeds itself, it, you know, you won't, the plant that, that is generated from it doesn't look like the parent in, in a lot of cases. And sometimes the plant, the flowers are more sterile. So they produce less pollen. They produce less nectar. They're, they're not as positive uh, an impact is using true native species. Yeah, they, they just aren't. Yes. The, the industry is selecting a, a plant for a specific reason. And the reason is uh, color. Um, it's like Kelsey said, a sterile flower. They're, yeah, height. They like dwarfs or variegated or purple leaves. or. But the, the reality of it is they're selecting it for just, just that one reason. And like Kelsey said, it is one plant. So, um, you know, there that, you know, you think that you have a different plant from your neighbor or you have a plant, a different plant from somebody in Denver or Florida or wherever you may be in the world, the same, yeah. it is the exact same plant. So that is a huge problem, um, for diversity, um, for genetic diversity. And then also, um, wait, can, you know, can I, can I stop it, you? Can I stop you there? Uh, let's make sure we understand that you're saying it is the same plant or is not the same plant. No, no, it's the, it, the plant that you're buying. It's the exact same plant. So when you're buying, like, uh, you know, uh, a heat, let's, let's pick on animal hydrangea. We love, we love, uh, we love picking hey, on animal oh, hydrangea. All right, Annabelle hydrangea is going to take some heat right now. Here we go. Yeah, you know, it's well, it, it, it's a direct, <laughs> it's a dir you know, it, it, it's kind of, it, it's not. Annabelle hydrangea is a, it's a pretty shrub. All right, but it, it's a derivative of a single plant from a single place. And, you know, you, you, and, and the reason why you can call it Annabelle hydrangea is because it's the same as all the other hydrangeas in that particular row that say Annabelle on the tag. Because it's and a clone. It's a clone, right? It's a clone. Correct. And, and effectively, yes. what'll happen is, is that you'll see it because it's pretty. It'll end up on these things for like, we'll, 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 we'll go to what we were doing uh, for butterflies and say, oh, it's a fantastic butterfly plant. But because the flowers are there's more sterility in them. They don't produce the kinds of things that the butter are, especially our local butterflies are looking for from the native competitor, which is uh, hydrangea arborescens. Uh, and you're not getting the same kind of positive results. So you're not, you don't have 
as many butterflies on it. We did a we we planted it next to our uh, our, our native species here to see how many uh, insects would visit the flowers, just kind of in an anecdotal way. And I had uh, I think four Annabelle and four or five of our native one. So you know we tried to keep a balance, and they were roughly the same size, but. The Annabelle produces larger inflorescences, but fewer of them, where the our native one produces just crazy amounts of inflorescences. And inflorescence? Yeah, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> inflorescence. Anyway, uh, but you get a lot of flowers. And what we noticed was we were averaging about uh, 15 or more species on the native and one and a half, and, and we were timing it on the hour. And we were averaging about 15 species uh per hour on the native species and about one and a half on the non-native, you know, Annabelle. And uh, one of the species that was consistently on Annabelle was a predator that would fly over to the, our, the, uh, the, the insects that were uh, feeding on the native and prey on them and then fly back and eat its lunch like a picnic where nobody else was going to bother it. And... Uh, it, that's that's something that you see time and time again when you start to diminish these species. And you're also – they're breeding them for, like Tristan said, these specific reasons. So now well, – Well, okay, in, in the, so in the case of – up in areas it shouldn't be. Oh, okay. So Annabelle is more drought tolerant, but the main thing no, no, no I, not just Annabelle, but like just oh. it just the, the plants that they're selecting in general. Okay. You know, they're putting – it's like this one's great for sand. But it doesn't belong in that environment. And once you put it there, you know, now it's taken the spot of a, you know, a possible positive species that you might have been able to, to have there that does actual work in the environment rather than just look nice. Okay. But, you know, and and, 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 and the, the Annabelle's, the whole th deal with Annabelle, I think it boiled down to one thing is that the species flopped. And people couldn't deal with that. They didn't like it, or the or the heads weren't mop heads weren't big enough. Um, you know, it's it's all about what does it look like, not not what it's doing in nature itself. It, it is this idea that we can make it better. Um, and what you're saying, we can make it better. We're playing. We're playing. We're we're dabbling in that uh, whole. Um, you know, uh, we'll call it uh, we'll call it arrogance. We can make it better, and. Honestly, uh, the false exactly. color, the false color it. in the native is, yeah, it's like, well, it's ours, yeah. we own it. And then, and then, and then the other thing that they're going to do, yeah, another thing that they're going to do, the industry does this very well, is they're going to market it, and they're going to market it as a pollinator-friendly plant. It's like you go to uh, a very nice websites and uh, very well-known um, garden centers, and right there you'll see uh, good for pollinators. Great for uh, butterflies. So yeah. Great for butterflies. And it is 100% not. That is a lie. You go ahead and go ahead and search Annabelle Hydrangea on your internet and look at images. I, I, would, I guarantee you the first page or first thousand photos, you will not see a single insect on that flower. doesn't exist. Well, and, and okay, and here's a problem as I see it, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong about this. If you go to a garden center, you won't be able to find a straight species. You're going to be getting all sure. Annabelle. Yeah, okay. because it's usually, well, one, they, uh, you know, um, there's not a lot of garden centers. Uh, and we've started now, in all fairness, we have started talking to a couple recently that are trying to offer like true native species for 
you know, consumption uh, in the Chicagoland area. Um, uh, I think uh, we're working with Christy Weber now to supply them some, you know, straight species natives so they can offer true pollinator friendly plants in, a, in a, an area where finding those species are very difficult. But as a, as a garden center, a lot of times you're not actively growing your own plants. You're buying them in from right. a supplier and those suppliers, they have named varieties that they rely upon for royalties and, and, and how, you know, and how their, their funding structure works and having a native species, they don't, they don't own it. You don't get extra. I mean, native R is a really fancy term to get an extra 20% uh, on the bottom line of what you're buying. Uh, and the bottom line so goes to, the, to you know, the people who produce the seed. Uh, well, not, uh, not seeds. Plant, it's not, it's <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. It's the it's the clone. Uh, there are there the are bred native ours. There are bred ones, as far as I understand. Yes. There are bred ones, but it's still they're crossing X with Y, and they're getting Z, and that's the plant that they're actively trying to get. And and, and you know, good for them. Well, and this the, the the seed popped into my head because I was looking at my notes here, and this is something that we, you and I talked about, the, the three of us talked about the other day, was uh, the idea of owning seeds and and having a trademark uh, for seeds. Well, they, uh, they don't, they can't own the seed. They can't own the seed. What they do is they own the yeah. rights to that particular genetic makeup of plants. So it's effectively it's like trademarking genes or a light bulb or a sofa. You know, it's that brand for that particular plant is owned by bill whoever bill is you know and um and bill produced it he put a lot of work into it and it's not that it's an uh, you know wrong for bill to do such a thing it's just that when you put that out there you shouldn't misrepresent what it is and you know and native ours are strictly cultivars you know rebranded and and having that kind of misleads the public to believe that they are as good and purposeful in our landscape as true native species. And, fr you know, frankly, they you no know, they're, they're not, they're just not, you know, well, if I'm planting, if yeah. I'm planting liatris, I'm, if I plant native straight species stuff now in, you know, people would argue, well, if I plant this native here, it doesn't like to live here, but this native R does like to live here. So I'm going to plant it and I'm going to have that flower. Well, that's great. But it, if it doesn't like to live there, if the native doesn't live there, there might be a reason for that. And you should be looking for corollary species rather than that. Got to have that one purple or orange or red flower because that's what makes it right in the garden. And that's not how, you know, actual native gardening works. You're looking, you're looking at an overall a uh, spectrum of, of materials that are going to give you the, that that more complete approach and, and complete you know environment for our local friends that live in the woods to to partake in. Let me ask you a question: Would you consider Menarda didyma a native bar? Didyma. You know, I don't know if I care to know that one. I know we deal with fistulosa. Uh, I know, I know. That's why I'm asking. Uh, and um, yeah, because I mean, didyma, that's the that's that like magenta -y flower, right? Well, yeah, well, yeah. Fire, um, fire engine red. You get a lot of those. And, yeah, and there you, you go. Yeah, but I think there's a. I think isn't there? A, I think there's a magenta one as well. That one's there, been around I think there for is. a while. Um, but that's is that the one from 
uh, I'd have to I'd have to re-educate myself on that. I believe okay. that's out and of somebody zone. Uh, Scarlet B bomb. Yeah, Scarlet B bomb. Okay, um, and that is a selected. It, it's a selected species that is hardy outside its natural zone, and it's probably, you know, it could be seed produced. It could be clonally produced. I I I don't care enough to know personally because sometimes I just get frustrated. And I'll just block that kind of stuff out of my head. But if I'm going to be planting locally, I'm going to be planting the local species. And I have to understand that any Monarda, and this includes Didyma, can be a very aggressive plant in an urban yard. And once it starts to seed around or it starts to spread vegetatively, you know, people who spent a lot of money on Didyma uh, are less likely to rip that one out. And then that one kind of spreads around. Whereas they look at fistulosa and I only spent $5 on that. I'll just get rid of that son of a gun. And you know, the next thing I know I've got, you know, the non-native, but it does that one tend to be benign as far as it, a pollinator involvement. There can be some benefit to incredibly similar species. I just don't recommend it because you do have local options to go do that same exact thing and support well, more locally, more proper. And properly is not the way I want to say that, but similar to that's similar in that thought. Okay. Well, well that, that makes sense again. Or... Um, and uh, the Didyma, I, I, I have, uh, I have never found it to be in, um, aggressive invasive uh whatever you want to call it. i know it I, and i read small, it right i read it i read about that all the time and i've never seen it in my own yard in fact sometimes i have a hard time keeping the the darn thing alive and and i grow it because uh my grandmother grew it and my mom grew it and um if and i and what i remember in the back of my head is that it was a natural occurring um hybrid that someone discovered, and I want to say, like in Massachusetts, uh, uh, that yeah. and and that that is was native back east. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, so well, if I remember, if I remember right, and you know, help me out here, but I, I could have sworn that this one, yeah, it came from back east. But isn't it like the Minnesota native? It, it doesn't it like circle north. It's been a long time since I've thought about it. So yeah. my All right. Well, but I didn't know. I didn't mean to, to, yeah. to sucker punch you with that one. I just thought you might. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't know. And that's no, it's a fair point because I should probably be more aware of some of these species as, as comparisons. And, and I get that the popularity of certain colors and I want to, I want to do good, but if it doesn't flower at the right time to support the species or it doesn't bring in you know, the pollinators that, that rely on it because we have eliminated the local source of what they would normally go to and replaced it with a subpar variant, then, you know, it, it's something to kind of keep in, keep in mind that if there's a better option, use it. Um, we just got a great comment from uh, our friend Steve Sass uh, in Indiana. Uh, he says, Native ours are a big problem in urban forestry. Some municipalities actually require improved varieties to be planted yeah, over straight. varieties. Yeah. The nursery trade mm-hmm. is big time influencing the selection of city trees. Um, and uh, I've got I had that kind of influence. <laughs> well, maybe you will at some point. I know you're, you're, you're working hard at it. Um, and and we're, we're running out of time here. Um, what Let's talk about, because somebody else said uh, Arizona um, – 
had incentives for homeowners to remove their yard and apply natives instead. Uh, it was a short program, but had success. Let's take us uh, to uh, a photo that you sent me that sort of illustrates oh, some, yeah. some of what you're trying to do here. And it, it's, it, we start with, ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's a standard, that was a standard McMansion. I got the, a call from uh from It looks home, like a funeral home. I'm sorry. It looks like a funeral <laughs> home. Well, it, what's, what's funny is the guy actually said, so he goes, you know, I guess when, I, when we bought the place, I thought I was buying a bank. And, and you know, it kind of made me laugh. But when I, when he called, I pulled up. This is I hadn't even pulled into the driveway yet. I had to stop and take a picture because I couldn't believe. I'm like, this guy wants to plant natives. I'm like, okay, he's clearly, you know, he's clearly out of his mind. And um, when I when after talking to him for a little while and seeing his dedication and and, and I, I I don't know the state of this particular landscape anymore. This is a number of years ago now. But he really went all in, and we did a lot of good work for him, and we changed that landscape in quite a short period of time. But it was just like pulling up to any McMansion, and this, yeah, this is the result. We, in that front yard, we planted, I think, seven oak trees and a transitional yeah. landscape of uh, short grass prairie. And since we were in Kankakee County, they had like a sandy loam, and so we used you know, regionally and locally collected species. And we tried to, uh, so uh, instead of name varieties of uh, little blue stem or whatever, we use the seed that uh, we collected seed uh, literally maybe like four miles from this guy's house. And we planted it in the soil there and they went absolutely berserk. There's a Liatris pigmentacea instead of your Aspera, you know, uh, this a prairie one versus a, uh, the ones that are, you know, more suited for uh, not the prairie. Right. And the uh, shrub in the background with the yellow flowers, that's Hypericum prolificum, which we also collected. Uh, I believe the parent material for that was from the uh, western part of the county. So, I mean, this is all species that we collected fairly close to where this guy lived, and we brought it to his house. That's and great. The plants went absolutely bonkers. and But he's an unusual... Uh, case study because they went all in they took every non-native out that they could manage to get out by themselves and really planted it in and i my hat has always been off to them for the effort that they put into that it was amazing there's all kinds of stuff that went into that landscape that are mildly hilarious and we don't have time for (laughs) well you know i want to show that one more time because folks are commenting on uh, the change here, and I'm sorry for you folks listening on the podcast, you won't get to see it, so it's another reason to go to the YouTube channel and take a look. So this is before and this is after, and it is remarkable. That's exactly one year, almost exactly one year. So in, in the coming years, it's going to look even better, I would assume. I, I would hope so, but like I said, I have lost track of these guys. Um, you know, If you maintain this, it, it, the whole idea behind this landscape was transitional. So what would happen mm-hmm. is, is that we planned for the obsolescence of species. So once the oaks started to knit their canopy together, there were backup species tucked in here that would slowly take over because they like slightly more shade. And this yard would transition from a prairie to a savanna to possibly an open canopy woodland. And that was a whole idea behind it. And we wanted mm-hmm. to put the trees in the middle so they would branch out and they would block off the house, give them a, uh, a bit of privacy because they were on that corner. Yeah. So when you pulled in uh, the whole O.C. Simons kind of idea where you have that interrupted view 
of the landscape and you kind of like you you introduced yourself to the home as you entered the property and they were well on their way and they had another full acre on the side of the house that we did uh in a similar fashion so so is this it, the it kind of very, thing that that you do for other people you will uh um... i do consults i'm working on a I, I i do very few full landscapes i'm doing i only do one or two a year um simply because of the time involved and um, Tristan and I, we have other duties, so we can only take on so many, you know, external projects where we are a actively involved in the implementation of the landscape. However, we do offer yeah. consulting here free at the nursery. Mm -hmm. I have a table outside. We try, we were being mindful and now that we're uh, updating the office, we're going to have a nice conference room that I could, you know, sit down with people and actively go over their landscapes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. But they have to have an appointment, and it's Fridays and Saturdays only because that's all the time I got. Okay. Uh, and before we go, we just got a couple of minutes. Um, I want to talk about uh, saving butterflies. <laughs> Looking and, at and do we have to say yeah. who Vanessa is? Yes, we have to say. Absolutely. Who... Actually, can you pull, pull Vanessa up? Would you, you, I, sent, I sent you a picture of her, right? That's right. You, well, you sent a, a picture of her uh, in a certain stage, which is this. Yeah, there, right. there's, there's Vanessa. All right. And, uh, and who is Vanessa? Uh, the American painted. She's the American painted lady. Uh, and that uh, their primary host species is a plant called Antonaria, uh, the genus Antonaria. There's several native uh, to our area. We grow plant plantagenea. We do not grow neglecto. Mm -hmm. We only grow that periodically. Right. But uh, the, the common name is pussy toes. Uh, the pussy toes. Pussy toes. All right. Uh, because the, well, the flower, they look like little curled pussy, like a little kitty cat uh, paws. So it's kind of fun. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the parent this, plant. This picture is actually taken in our, in our greenhouse. And, and, and that's yeah. part of the point here, too. We talk about you have to rescue caterpillars from the greenhouse. What's that all about, Tristan? Um, like I mentioned before about the uh, anabol hydrangea not having insects on it, and it's a bigger problem in the whole industry, and that happens to be a sterile flower, but it also doesn't have uh, pollinator, uh, pollinators on them because uh, the industry is uh, uh, willing to uh, spray uh, copious amounts of whatever it may be, uh, insecticides, miticides, fungicides, which makes it very difficult, if not impossible, for um, insects to live uh, inside a green or inside a greenhouse, or even on the property of a lot of uh, horticultural properties uh, or industries, uh, nurseries, and such. Um, and that's mostly due to their cultural practices. Uh, they basically stress their plants out, where they have uh, a lot of uh, pressures from um, you know insects, uh, Jap beetle being uh, Japanese beetle being one of them. And uh, they have to spray and kill them, uh, which kills uh, everything. And so uh, we take a different approach. Uh, we try to grow extremely healthy plants. In fact, when we see an ill plant, uh, we terminate it. Um, so terminating a plant uh, pretty much uh, alleviates the problem of uh, pressures from, um, you know, uh, from spraying. Uh, so, uh, what happens in the greenhouse is, uh, we actually, the, you know, babies are the tastiest. So, uh, uh, the baby plants, uh, new plants, seedlings are quite tasty, uh, and insects look to feed on them. So, uh, especially butterflies and uh, caterpillars will move into, uh, their host species where they'll lay their eggs, they'll hatch, and, uh, we will, um, let them eat for we allow a this period to of time. Absolutely. We allow this to happen. 
Uh, our customers want this. Uh, we want it. Um, even if our customers don't, I should say. And uh, we will. Uh, we have stands of these plants on our property, uh, and sometimes we will move insects off our greenhouse plants off because them. they will yeah. eat them to and, a to another host species that they'll live on. Right, and and one of the things you dying. told you told me the other day is that you can't leave them in the greenhouse because they'll fry in there too. Right? Yeah, so we we well, do have yeah, uh, the, the butterflies, controls. the butterflies, right. the butterflies. Yeah, do. yeah, yeah I check the butterflies. Don't seem to care. They don't care. Caterpillars can take the heat. Okay, <laughs> caterpillars can always right. take the heat. Uh, that's that's a good way. Yeah. Yeah, but but butterflies are, are are free as long as they're not in a greenhouse. Um, all right, so uh, Kelsey and Tristan, we're we're we've gone way over, but listen, thank you guys so much. This has been really remarkable, and uh, appreciate uh, all the comments you have. You, we got to invite you back some point, and just again, uh, go. We didn't we didn't even get to everything, but we got to a lot of it. So uh, uh, appreciate the time you spent with us, and I know you want to get out there because it's a sunny day. Well, have Thank a good you. one, guys, and thanks for having us on. Really appreciate it. And uh, folks can go to possibilityplace.com uh, if they want more information, and I bet they could pick up a phone and maybe even get a hold of one of you two guys, uh, even by accident. <laughs> or me by purpose. Uh, yeah. uh, by pur- <laughs> all right. Uh, gentlemen, have, a, have a, a great Sunday, all right? Thanks all right. a lot. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Peggy. Meteorologist Rick DeMaio is next. Please stick around. So this is a very simple PAR meter, and I'm going to measure the PAR value of this fluorescent light, which was purchased at a Home Depot specifically for growing um, and advertised as a seed starting light minimally for par value for just seed starting so just to the seedling stage you want a minimum of 80 really um 75 to 100 will do the trick i would say 100 to 150 is far better um but right now at about a foot above the plants uh we're getting 49 so now we're going to, let me plug in our happy leaf light. This is our 17-inch Procyon 2.0, um, and it's a really great all-around light. Um, they also come in 33-inch lights, which I have set up here, which is where I'm going to actually put my seed flat. Let's get it about a foot over. I'm getting a value of 335. From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from Tinyo Biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star also offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks and great techniques at blazing-star.com. The Arctic is warming almost three times faster than the rest of the planet. Changing the Arctic ecosystems forever. Causing destruction around the planet.
Once Arctic ice melts, we can't get it back. We can't negotiate the melting point of ice. World leaders must take immediate action to keep 1.5 alive. I came across that uh, the other day, and I was just amazed um, that animation is all used, that's melting ice, and they carved out the, the little polar bear there and did uh, some kind of pixelation with it, and, it, and it's pretty remarkable stuff. Uh, and there's Jax uh, behind meteorologist Rick DeMille. Uh How you doing yes, this morning? Y- yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, in his, he's on his perch. Yeah. Uh, so right. wherever I go, he goes. Yeah. Uh, uh, so he's looking for, I don't know what he's looking for, but he's always looking for something. That's a dog. <laughs> he's watching for squirrels outside the window. What's that, pig? He's watching for squirrels outside the window. Oh, my God. If you say squirrel really loud, he'll jump up and down. Squirrel, squirrel. rabbit, treat. Squirrel. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's actually right here. Yeah, there he is. There hey, Jack, he goes, squirrel. He goes, he goes everywhere. We just took like a good 45 minute walk this morning. And, um, yeah, I had to wipe his paws again from not, not rain, but melting snow. That was pretty amazing yesterday. Wasn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's... I, I'm looking out. There's still snow out there. Yeah. It, it was huge. really amazing. You know, snow forms from a process called coal, um, uh, the Bergerine Finn Dyson process, as opposed to coalition, um, coalescence and collision, which is raindrops. So that that process that produces the snowflakes allows a whole bunch of these flakes to aggregate. In other words, they, they kind of conglomerate onto each other. And there were at one point, um, I, I think I saw flakes almost, almost two and a half inches wide. It was like yeah. three or four different ones. And what was amazing about it is when we got right underneath or right within the center of the surface low where there was absolutely zero wind, that's when the flakes got bigger. And the reason why is the wind wasn't coming down horizontally and breaking the flakes up. So whatever was starting between about, these flakes were forming between about probably eight and about 12,000 feet, whatever, um, wherever they were forming, they were kind of falling into each other. And because there was no horizontal wind, you literally had like a tandem of flakes coming all the way down to the ground. So it was, it was really a remarkable feat of nature, um, one that to me, to this day, it just it boggles my mind how, 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 how incredibly diverse Mother Nature could be from one day to the next this time of the year. Now we have, now we have lake fog coming in. <laughs> oh. I'm sure it's, yeah, you could probably see it more yeah. up by you, Peg. Yeah, um, and, I, and not, I'm. Not yet, but it was like the other night when the fog was just rolling in. And oh, that, that, was, that was one of your more impressive lake fogs as I was teaching at Loyola. And literally from one side of the campus to the other, the visibility went from about 10 feet to about, say, 500 feet. It was just it was this fog literally forming um, right off the water. And even though I'm teaching climate, cha- a climate change class, I spend the first 15 minutes talking weather, you know, and I go, guys, I, I know you probably want me to get right into climate change, but you need to know about this because... I know that there's some kids that are like, I just want to learn about climate change. And other kids that go, it's really cool. He kind of relates weather to what stuff that were going on. But either way, I go, you're going to get a weather brief because this is really interesting yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know, the first the first Saturday of the month of March, 
we were 70 degrees. It was 70. Mm-hmm. And the, here's the yeah. first Saturday of the month of April. And we were literally, you know, 35 degrees colder. And when the Cubs open up on, you know, Thursday at Wrigley Field, you know, it's barely going to be in the low 40s. There's going to be like a 20 mile an hour wind. Uh, it's actually going to be a west wind, but it's not going to matter because it's still going to be cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, and come on, you must have a wind off the lake then. Right, but that'll be a colder wind. Yeah, but I mean, the lake water temperature is about, uh, Lake Michigan's about two degrees below normal right now, temperature wise. Looking at our, our precipitation that has come in over the past week, I had, I, I, I put in a new rain gauge because I think the other one got cracked. Um, and I think it was Wednesday to Thursday, I got uh, an inch of rain. Yeah, I've got oh, 1.8. Mike, you, you got more than that. Easily, yeah. You got more than, I just yeah, you got this morning and well, I got one point eight. Well, when I put the, but what I was going to say is, it was in from one afternoon to the next. It had already been raining for a while, and but I realized mm-hmm. that the rain gauge wasn't working properly, so I put in a new mm-hmm. one. And in the the oh. uh, in about a twenty four hour period, I got an inch of rain. Yeah, because I I would say in your area you were, you were up almost two inches because I know there's another map that shows uh, where the rain came down the heaviest, but again. If you think about it, there it is. If you think about it, yeah. it's the exact same area that continues to get the heaviest rain. It's it's unbelievable. We've been in this pattern now where that area from St. Louis northward, um, and I think I have a 30-day precip map, has basically been in the heaviest rainfall now for almost the last two to three months. Um, yeah. Now, granted, that could easily change a little bit, but the pattern has been very, very persistent between about the end of December and about since to, to now, really. Yeah, and uh, this is your thirty-day uh, precipitation. Yeah, and again, I wish I wish the um, Midwest Regional Climate Center would change because the red looks like it's you know dry. Right. Um, but I, I don't know why they they do that. I gotta I gotta talk to them down there because it just seems weird that that it's like this. And I'm sure they'd be able to change it. It just doesn't look very. It doesn't look representative of what rain is. I agree. Right? Rain, uh, I absolutely agree. Yeah, it doesn't match the drought map. Yeah, it it right. It does. It doesn't. It doesn't jive. But nonetheless, um, you can see there's been over six inches of rain. Six um, in areas of central Illinois. So the farmers downstate are doing really, really well. I mean, their their fields are, are ready to be planted. Um, it may not get there yet because it's still pretty chilly um, over the next week to 10 days. I also included some soil temperature maps as well. Um, well, uh, and, and this is another map. I think this is the Purdue map, and they use blue as a lot to to, men, to uh, yeah, in, indicate. You know what, it, 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 they should remain a little bit consistent here. Uh, yeah, this is percent of mean. So what this shows you here is the those areas where they got the heavier rainfall, they're running about 250% of normal. Um, and and then the, the, the lower numbers represent the um, 5 to 10%, and that's colored with yellow and red. So, yeah, I know, they, they, need, to, they need to all get on the same page. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, here's the uh, snowfall, um, October 1st through March 31st. Yeah, now this is really amazing because I did some digging yesterday and I got this off of one of the um, uh, one of the Twitter sites uh, from the NCEI, which used to be the NCDC, which was the National Center for 
um, National Climactic Data Set announced the National Center for Environmental Information. So someone gets a new job of a new post and they change the, the acronym. But what's really amazing is you can see where the snow wasn't over Nebraska and western Iowa, where they got less than eight inches, which is amazingly low. Again, think about we didn't get many storms come in from that direction. We got a few clippers, but, man, did it get cold and snowy across parts of northern Minnesota um, and up around uh, Minnesota, I should say, um, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and Wisconsin. This is actually about six to ten inches of snow. I was looking at one of the webcams from northern Michigan University uh, early this week, and there were, again, I think we talked about this last week, there were still people snowmobiling, and they had 18 inches of snow on the ground. And this was going into early March. Now, that's great because that snow will eventually percolate down into the soil. But sometimes if you get real warm and real wet, you can have massive flooding uh, with that type of a scenario. So, again, decent snows um, appear to be the case when you look at California. But all that snow occurred in the month of December. And then you can see exactly where the snowfall occurred downwind of Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. However, when you go to the next map, uh, which is the departure from normal, this to me tells a story because look at how low it was, again, from the Plain States into the Midwest. You're down about 6 to 12 inches, which means that you're down probably about 1 to 2 inches of water during that particular time. Um, again, you can see that that area of northern Missouri into central Illinois was basically above normal as well as areas of Tennessee. But then you look at the spots um, across parts, even of California, um, as much snow as they got in December, a lot of that uh, stopped once we got into January. Um, and then even though parts of Colorado got some decent snows, most of the mountains are still running basically below normal. So this is a really good map that shows you not only the, the, the precip, but also the, the lack of snow, especially across the areas um, that need it. So, again, the, the areas that got into the drought last year are still below normal yeah. this year as well. And that it, I always say this, drought's not a one-time deal. It's basically back-to-back -back seasons of dry weather that will produce drought, and that's, and that's where we're going. So mm -hmm. you can see even – and, again, I, I mentioned this last week. You drive north on 94 up into Milwaukee, and a lot of the public grassy areas along the highway, they're brown. You look at our areas, and we're green. And you still see that those areas, even though they got some decent snow this last week, you're not going to get a lot of moisture out of snow. That'll either evaporate or kind of melt back into the atmosphere even before it, before it gets a chance to percolate uh, down into the ground. So these areas still somewhat on the dry side. But as I mentioned, the pattern looks favorable for, for kind of like, like, like chipping away at that over the next two to three weeks. Yeah, so here's the seven-day precip forecast. Um, and, you know, these have actually been working out pretty well. Uh, the last one occurred, well, the last two were basically from, like, uh, Springfield, Missouri, up through St. Louis and up into, you know, our neck of the woods. That's where the one to one and a half was, and that kind of verified nicely over the last two weeks. Now we're finally beginning to get snow up across Wisconsin, northeast Iowa, southeast Minnesota, so this is good, but um, if you remember, I think two weeks ago or last week, I showed a, um, a one-year map of rainfall, and they're down 12 to 14 inches. Mm -hmm. So 
if this time of the year you're typically getting about two and a half to three and a half inches of rain per month, you basically need five to six um, over the next two months going into the summer season. So I will predict right now on the first week of April that we'll probably get back maybe 50% of that, but we certainly make we, we certainly won't make up 100% of the deficit. The pattern does not want to go in that direction. So you'll get a couple of these cutoff lows that'll produce four or five days of light to moderate rain, but we need is a flow of southwest moisture coming in from the Pacific Ocean with a little bit of a help from the Gulf of Mexico, but it ain't going to do that. So where it's dry now, it'll get better. Um, and hopefully that'll be the case before we get into the month of June when we start to get just more, you know, convective stuff as opposed to these wide scale, you know, big storms. Uh, I want to call attention to something you also said, which is uh, good for uh, gardeners uh, here. Uh, you're looking at soil temperatures for April 2nd. Now, you can read the, the map on the left uh, better than you can the one on the right, and uh, it's showing uh, 37.6 uh, just west. It, that's in DuPage County. Um, and uh, downstate, you're getting into the 40-degree range, 45 degrees plus as you get down downstate. But now, the, is this, what, 2-inch, 4-inch soil temp? It's 4 inches. So um, there, there's actually a link that I sent, Mike, and it's from the, um, uh, the Illinois State Water Survey. And it's really, really good stuff because they have – this is all – these are all co-op observers, part of the University of Illinois um, Agricultural Extension. Um, and the 37.6 is actually in St. Charles, which is in Kane County. Oh, and Kane County, okay. Yeah, and the 38.4 is at NIU. So what they do is they'll have these spread out across the state so they can get a really good idea of the, the depth of the, the, the coolness, basically. Um, and we all know that that's really what makes things grow is how warm the soil is. And what they, what they also, and I also posted, was a really great article that shows um, how the, the not, not so much the depth of the cold, but the length of the cold has an impact on, you know, basically getting rid of those critters, uh, those bugs that, that we have to deal with from a standpoint of agriculture from farming. Um, and I was talking with uh, Nancy Tuckman, who is our dean over at the School of Environmental Sustainability. Um, and when I sent this to her, she was like, oh, my God, this is something I was just talking about in one of my classes. Um, so here she is doing, you know, stuff from a book. And she's like, where do you get this from? And I go, well, I, I do some searching and I find it. And she goes, this is terrific. Can I use it? I'm like, of course you can. It's, it's public access. So this is something that um, not only that, but the actual information from the, um, from the, um, uh, from the, the blog that went out really does a good job explaining, you know, how if you get a late season cold snap, which is what the map on the right shows, which is the last date of the last possible spring freeze yeah. you can still get rid of some of those critters that are that are kind of like underneath pieces of bark and grassy areas not pieces of bark but underneath bark or or in grassy areas or basically three or four down, inches down on the ground so it, it helps out it helps out more so with people who plant trees and you know bushes that are worried about you know the pests coming out of the ground that don't get killed because we have a warmer 
uh, climate. And I think this is really important to see because from 1970 to 2000, um, we had basically 185 days of a growing season in southern Illinois, about 175 in central Illinois, 160 up in Rockford. But in those 30 years, I shouldn't say 30 years, the, the next shift uh, from 1991 to 2020, um, Actually, that's a shift of 20 years. Um, we've, we've increased the number of days by, by 20, which is really remarkable. Now, yeah. you got to be careful about this because it's not all bad. So what this means is farmers go, wow, you mean I can plant earlier and then harvest later? And the answer to that is yes. Uh, but at the same time, this usually means that you have probably um, a more humid climate, a wetter climate. So it may take away from the fact that you may not be able to get into the fields because of, you know, more mud. Uh, and at the same time, you may have a wetter uh, late September into into early October. So obviously, there's good and bad on both sides. But the, the, the thing about it is, you know, present the data and see what farmers think of it and how they adapt to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you can actually predict whether or not you're going to have you know, extreme wet or extreme dry. And this one probably answers Peg's question a little bit. What this does is it takes that previous map and it breaks it down into percentages. So it says one in 10, which means that there's a 10% chance of the last spring freeze occurring April 15th up around McHenry County. Then there's a one in five or a 50% chance of it being about April 22nd. But there's really a nine in 10, like a 90% chance of the last freeze occurring around May 13th, far north, May 6th, across the western suburbs, um, and generally right around, you know, uh, basically that last week of April, you can still get a freeze um, around mm-hmm. here. But generally speaking, um, if you look at the median chart, that's the best way of doing it. Um, you can still, now it doesn't mean, that doesn't mean the 90% means that's how much it happens. It just means that there's a 90% chance that it can still happen but the median is basically in the middle there that's the best way of looking yeah and uh and and you can always get uh surprised by the weather regardless of what the statistics uh tell you that's why uh when you're planting in the spring you got to keep an eye out for the the weather forecast you know real quickly before we say goodbye here but today is the uh anniversary of day one of the super outbreak in 1974 so we had april 3rd in April 4th, uh, where you had uh, 170, no, 147 tornadoes um, mm-hmm. over a two-day span. Um, if you take that same pattern today, it would probably be 400 tornadoes because we count these F0s and F1s so much more than we did uh, in the past. And the reason why I bring that up, it was just published that the month of March uh, will go down as the record for the highest number of tornadoes ever in the month of March, but that's really only since 1990. So when Doppler radar, our current Doppler radar, was implemented across across all of the uh, U.S., um, it really didn't happen until like right around 89 or 90. Prior to that, we weren't counting all the small tornadoes. So the number of small tornadoes has really, I think, inflated this. Um, hmm. I don't really think this is climate change related, you would almost have to look at January and February. Um, I think if you want to do a study on climate change and tornadoes, it's best to do like like from mid-November to maybe 
mid-February, look at these larger events that you would not have happened um, during that time of the year and how they produce tornadoes. But if you just start looking at the number of tornadoes, um, I don't think that I don't think that really helps out. Uh, I don't think that really helps out too much. But the reason why I bring this up is because it was on a big board on you know NBC News the other day with Al Roker, and I'm looking at this. I'm like going, I. I, I didn't catch it all, but I just want to make sure that he puts it in the context. And I think Al's pretty good about that because he's a, he's very he's very good about promoting a changing climate. But um, if you start to just see that one graphic retweeted, people go, "Oh, look, we got more tornadoes than ever." But that's only since 1990. You got to be you got to be really mindful of the fact that that that's not a very long period of time, and a lot of these tornadoes. Um, have been small. Nonetheless, we talked about this. We had three major events in the month of March, Iowa, Texas, and New Orleans. And all three of those, you take those storms, you move them two or three miles in another direction, and you have 150 people killed. Um, Mm. And I only bring this up because typically you only see weather events, you know, lengthened in the news cycle by how much it cost or how many people were killed. Otherwise, if it, if it goes quickly and not a lot of people died, it's out of the news cycle very, very fast. You mentioned right. Hurricane Katrina or Andrew. People know about it. You mentioned Hurricane Michael. People go, what was Hurricane Michael? But Hurricane Michael was a Cat 5. But the fact that it missed so much of a populated area in Florida, people don't think about it. But Hurricane Michael was badass. It was bad. But yet, again, people don't think about it because it wasn't. I know. Like, he likes that. He likes Hurricane. We'll have a Hurricane it's peg me. one day. Don't worry. No, he likes, yeah. no, he likes just Michael. <laughs> no, no, Hurricane, hurricane Michael. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, met, I mentioned Hurricane Michael to my students. They don't know it. They, I mentioned Katrina. They know it because Katrina was all about flooding and poor decisions and poor response and all that other stuff. But Michael was, and, and Sandy, yeah. And Michael was so much more to me related to climate change because that thing ramped up so fast. And that was like the third week of October. Sandy, I mean, yeah. and Sandy was another one that was, that was totally related to climate change. Katrina, it was in August. I mean, those things are supposed to happen. So Katrina... Not related to climate change. I, I, I don't look at it that way. The other ones, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, we should mention that, um, um, oh, uh, you know, uh, it, we just had a, a comment. It just popped in. I wish Rick DeMaio gave some weather information for Northwest Indiana. Um, I do. Yeah. I, I, that's what I was thinking. Uh, you know, if you look at those maps, you, you, you can see where that is. I mean, we do, yeah, we do tend to focus on uh, the Chicago uh, area, but uh, you know, I I, I think you Put do. This way. From now on, I'll start in Michigan and work my way uh, west. <laughs> as opposed to starting Missouri and working my way east. Start Minnesota. Start in New York and work your way west. Okay, whatever you need to do there. Oh, New Jersey. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you know that uh, Rick's not going to be with us next week. Um, and uh, it's Easter. It, no, that's not next week. Is the 10th. Uh, you've got off the 10th, and then we're taking off for Easter. So we won't have a show on Easter. Uh, and then, uh, it's kind of hit and miss, uh, over the next couple of months. So, uh, 
Uh, I'll be I'll be back east. Uh, my nephew is getting married for the second time because the first time during the pandemic they can only have a little ceremony, so ah. they're doing the actual reception um, uh, next week, and I feel bad for them. I mean. I mean, you had all this, everything planned, and they go, no, we can't do it. So they're already married, but now they're going to actually have the, the actual ceremony. The party. Uh, and then, yeah. And then the, my parents were supposed to fly up for it, but my mom has had some health problems. So she can't really be on a plane. So in the month of May, I'm going down there for two weeks uh, to help them out. So, um, yeah, so... So that's, we won't we won't be you, right. We won't be seeing as much of Rick maps, during the month of May, and then uh, and then summer comes, and you're going to be on your uh, summer break, uh, kind of just once. We'll see you about once a month. So uh, we're we're making some changes in in the schedule. I have to tell you though, your uh, your signal was impeccable today. So mm-hmm. aces. So we appreciate. Yeah. It. I think Jack Jack said something to do with it. Yeah, and I, and I bought an Ethernet uh, cable from Northwest Indiana. All right, Rick. Thanks a lot. Have a we'll we'll see you in about three weeks here. And uh, yeah, safe uh, travels. Have a good Easter. Thank Happy you. Easter and all of that stuff. All right, take care. Peace, guys. Can I do a quick, quick, quick product placement? Yes, do Super a quick, quick. Oh my God, we were going to talk. About, yeah, we were going to talk about. We'll talk about it next week. So, yeah. Product placement. Okay. All right. What do people need to know the about the issue of Natural Awakening Chicago is out. Um, and we're focusing this month why we need wild places and a lot of stuff for Earth Month. We'll talk more next week about it when Doug's on the show, obviously. Obviously. And you can go to com to read it all online. Please sign up for the newsletter and get it in your inbox. Uh, do you have a, 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 a an article about Doug in there for April? Uh, no, actually, the, the lead article um, by Cheryl DeVore, Why mm-hmm. We Need Wild Places, Ways to Bring Nature Back into Our Lives and Landscapes. Cheryl interviews Doug Tallamy. She interviews uh, Justin Hoffman and several other people. Wow. Okay. So uh, go online or pick up your copy of Natural Awakenings Chicago and uh, be ready for the quiz, which will be next week. Uh, and so let's uh, thank everybody who was on the show, uh, Kelsey and Tristan Shaw, um, meteorologist Rick DeBio. Um, let's remind people we didn't get to uh, the uh, the green thing today. Um, dispatch the green dispatch, but the articles are up there. You can read them and uh, and uh, comment on them if you like. Um, thanks to Kathleen who's running around helping today and tweeting, and I appreciate that. Uh, thanks to our our viewers uh, and everybody uh, being really Great engaged. Comments this week. Thank there you. were fabulous comments today. So until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler, uh, what is that? It? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. <laughs>